0: Over the past uh, 64-plus years that I've been on this earth, I've had the privilege to visit some amazing places in this world. I've stood on the rim of uh, the Grand Canyon and marveled at its size and its beauty. I've visited oceans on both of our coasts. I've stood outside Buckingham Palace. I've walked the halls of Westminster Abbey in London. I've been to the Taj Mahal in India. And I've experienced a service of worship on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. These were all memorable experiences, and I, I cherish every one, and uh, there's a lot of great memories and the pictures and the reminders of those times that I was able to spend. Yet they all had one uh, significant downside in common. I had to leave each one of them. My time there was limited. I couldn't stay Sometimes even as long as I wish to. However, there is a place far more awesome than any of these others that I, I, that I still have plans to visit. In fact, I have my reservation confirmed. And when I get there, I never, ever have to leave. Let me read you my confirmation uh, to that reservation this morning. It's found in John chapter 14 verse 1 it says this Do not let your hearts be troubled Trust in god trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms If it were not, so I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me That you also may be where I am You know the way to the place where i'm going What an amazing truth. What an amazing promise. The description of this place is beyond our imagination. We find that in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. It says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sounds like a place you want to be. An amen would be okay there. Sound not like a place you want to be. We have a promise that through a simple act of faith, through a simple act of faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, through believing in the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that that paid the penalty for my sin, and maintaining that faith and keeping our focus on Christ, we have that reservation confirmed. Let me remind you of that confirmation. It's in Romans chapter 8. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of this is based on one simple but profound truth. Jesus, once he paid the penalty for our sin and once he rose from the grave assuring that we too can live forever, Jesus ascended to the Father to minister on our behalf. We talked about that last week. He ascended to the Father and now we're going to celebrate this morning the truth that he's coming again. We're completing this series of our our look at the life of Christ with the exact place that it needs to end. And that's in the understanding that we have the opportunity, we have the privilege, we have the hope of spending an eternity with the Jesus that paid the price for our salvation. Last week we were in Acts chapter 1, and and we looked at the first nine verses. I want to pick up there uh, with verse 10. And remember the the setting of last week. The disciples were standing with Jesus and uh, suddenly he just, after giving them instruction and and promise, he ascended to the Father. And we talked about that and all the benefits that are ours because of that. But then something else amazing happened. Look at verse 10. They, being the, the apostles, the disciples, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus, this same Jesus is coming back. This same Jesus is coming back for the only purpose, the intent purpose of, of taking us to be with him for all of eternity. This guaranteed offered by the Almighty God assures us that we can find peace in the promise of the return of Christ, as it'll be the fulfillment of all that God has promised us. Every uh, bit of his word points to that moment when we spend eternity with him. Will you pray with me? Father, as, as Tom reminded us in his prayer this morning, uh, we live in a messed up world. We live in a place where there's fear and, and uncertainty. We live in a place, Father, where those, uh, there are those that want to uh, take away our opportunity to spend time with you corporately in worship. But Lord, all of that is temporal. All of that is just part of this fallen world. But we look forward today, Father, to that moment when we stand in your presence for all of eternity. Father, my prayer this morning is simply this, that we would, uh, over these next few moments, uh, gain a new hope, gain a new encouragement, gain a, a new sense of joy and a new sense of peace in believing and applying the promise of your word. I pray that in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The first truth that we need to understand this morning is that the return of Christ will be personal. The return of Christ will be personal. Look at verse 11 with me. It says this, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. We're assured by the angels, the two men in white, that, that appeared to the apostles there as Jesus was ascending. We're assured by these angels that... that uh, There is a day when this same Jesus will come back. See, this is significant for several reasons. And I want to remind us that everything that God has provided for eternity has centered on the work of the cross. Everything that, that is provided in the hope that we have of our eternity is centered on the work that Jesus did. Now, I don't want any theological misunderstanding this morning. We know... From from our uh, study of Scripture, that all three of the members of the Godhead, all co-equal, all co-powerful—God uh, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit—all of them have a hand in, in bringing us to that place and providing for us our salvation. God the Father, of course, came up with a plan; it was His idea. From the moment man sinned, God said, "I've got this. I'll take care of this. My heart is broken." I'm I'm sorry that you turned from me. I'm sorry that your your sin has separated us, but I'm going to provide an opportunity for that to be cared for. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to that place of accepting Jesus as Savior. It's the work of the Spirit that empowers us to have that that faith in a a story, in an account of a a, a Savior that brings us to salvation. And, And, of course, then the Holy Spirit indwells us And empowers us. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus that that paid the penalty. It's Jesus that that paid the price that brought our redemption. Jesus is the visible, if you will, the visible and and physical hands-on of the price paid for our redemption. As we discovered last week, his work is continuing on our behalf in heaven. He's seated at God's right hand. And there's several, as we we talked last week, several uh, advantages that are ours because of that. He's interceding for us. He's uh, the one that's empowered to, to act on God's behalf. The understanding that the return of Christ is personal is also important because it will be bodily and visible. At that moment, we're going to talk about a a little bit in just a second what that might look like from our human perspective. But we understand that at that moment, when Jesus returns for his church, that we will visibly see his return. It'll be bodily. And that's significant that, that it's a personal return because Jesus is the only member of the Godhead who has taken human form at any time, a a visible form. God the Father is spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is spirit. The angels again affirm this truth when they they tell the apostles that his return will be in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In Acts 1-9, we looked at last week, uh, he said that Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so in the same way we looked at a moment ago, Jesus was taken up visibly, personally, physically, they saw Jesus ascend, and the angel said in the same way he'll return. And so that's the promise that we will have an experience of seeing Jesus return. This affirmation of the bodily visible return of Christ is a representation of the ultimate hope that we have for our eternity. The apostle Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says these words, so will it be, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The physical, personal return of Christ that, that is visible and active gives us the assurance that our resurrection, that moment when we will meet him in the air and we'll uh, join him for all of eternity will be the same. He's, he's affirming that promise with the way he's returning. I can't answer all of the questions concerning the second coming of Jesus. It's been debated for, for centuries as a uh, relationship of the time of, uh, that, that Jesus is going to return. From the moment he ascended, the moment that he returned to the Father, people have debated uh, when it'll take place. They've debated even the, the circumstances of, of the timing. Will it be before the tribulation? Will it be after the tribulation? Uh, there's all kinds of different theories that people gain. And, and might I say that all of those can in some way be supported in Scripture? And God didn't purposely leave us in the dark. But I, I think in having some uh, misunderstanding or, or different opinions, God's saying, you know what, that's not the focal point that we need to, to worry about here. The timing of the process, and, and there's even people that question how Jesus can be seen all around the earth all at once. I have an answer for that one He's God. He's God. He can do it. I don't know how, but He's God. He's got it figured out. I have a theological opinion on all of those issues. However, that's not our purpose this morning. We'll leave those to another time, and quite honestly, leave those in the hands of an all-knowing God to figure out. But today, my purpose, and and I, I just pray for each one of us that this morning, we'll understand that God has provided us that promise of eternity so that we can rejoice in the assurance that this life is not all there is. Those who by faith have received the gift of salvation and continue to walk in that faith, we're assured that a day is coming when we'll be reunited with our Savior and be able to worship Him in His presence for all of eternity. I don't know about you people. I don't don't, don't know about what that uh, does in your spirit. But it provides hope for me. As I listen to the news, as I uh, read the accounts of what's going on in this world, I can put that aside and I can say, my hope is built on nothing less than the truth of the gospel and the truth that someday Jesus is coming back. And when he does, It'll take me to be with him forever. This understanding allows us to focus on the joyous fact that the return of Christ will be glorious. It'll be glorious. What do I mean by that? What do I mean, glorious is one of those words that that is just kind of that overwhelming understanding that uh, we can't get our arms around the truth, that we can't uh, fully grasp all that we want to say there. And and the word glorious is just kind of that all-encompassing wonder and awe. Verse 11 again says this, "'Men of Galilee, they said, "'Why do you stand here looking into the sky, "'this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven?' will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That promise that Jesus is returning, the wonder of that truth would be enough. But he doesn't stop there. He assures us that there's some things about the return of Christ that are going to be overwhelming. Although the return of Jesus will be bodily and it'll be visible, there's something that's been added. And and I know that that, that angels weren't being deceptive when they said he'll return just as you've seen him go. But we know that there's there's something different about his return. The glory of all that God has been will be restored to Jesus. The glory of all that God is will be restored to Jesus. What do I mean by that? In his first advent, when Jesus came uh, as a baby in Bethlehem, And as he grew as an adult, uh, Jesus took on human form as a means of identifying with us and ultimately dying for our sins. Philippians 2 gives us a picture of this this morning. It says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. In that verse, or in that passage I just read in verse 7, it said Jesus made himself nothing. And I want to unpack that. I want to make sure that we understand what he's talking about there. Uh, First of all, it does not mean, listen... It does not mean that he lost any of the attributes of being God. When Jesus was on earth, he was 100% totally, fully God. His character, nothing changed about who Jesus was when he took on human form. He remained God on earth. But he chose, when it said he emptied himself, it means he chose to set aside the display of some of those attributes to better identify with us. He made a decision when he came to earth to set aside some of the uh, glory, some of the, the authority, some of the power that he had, so that he could identify with us in our humanness. Jesus made himself nothing in a couple of very, very distinct ways. First, he voluntarily accepted the limitations of being human. What did that mean? It meant that he felt pain. It meant that while on earth, Jesus felt uh, the the frustration of human beings. He he was tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got upset with with people that were uh, abusing his father's house. Jesus felt the betrayal of those that turned their back on him. Jesus took on human form, and with that, took on all of the emotion and all of the, the feeling of what it is to be human. Jesus shed tears. At least twice we read in the New Testament that Jesus shed tears. Seated at the right hand of the Father, there were no tears. Being in heaven, there were no tears. Being God, there's no need for tears. But he, he set aside some of the qualities of God to allow himself to experience what we experience and in doing that some of his glory was hidden the wonder and the awe of of his godness of his deity was not seen oh he he demonstrated power he, he showed a, in the healing he allowed God's spirit to work through him but his full glory was not revealed at that time in fact we know from the Old Testament that God's glory is so intense that it could not be looked on by man. When Moses went to, to, to receive the law at Mount Sinai, God warned him, don't, don't look at what you're hearing. Don't look at me because my, my Shekinah, that, that glowing glory, you die. And so Jesus set aside some of his glory of being God when he was on earth. When he returns, we'll see it. When he returns, all of the attributes of God, that shining glory that that God deemed to be too wonderful for man to see prior to that moment will once again be revealed. When that trumpet sounds and, and the angels declare his return, I can't explain it. I can't describe it because we've never experienced it. All we know is that all of the wonder of God will be revealed to us at that moment. Not only will the return of Jesus reveal uh, to man the full glory of God, but we'll experience a transformation as well. Some of that glory uh, of God is going to be poured out on us in the moment in time. Angels will appear with Christ. There will be a, a sounding of trumpets, and we will be changed this transformation is revealed for, for us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and following. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be, all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal... With immortality what an amazing truth in that glorious moment listen in that glorious moment all the pain all the fear all the disappointment all the anger and the worry of this life will disappear forever our only focus will be on Jesus and the peace and the joy that accompanies his presence, when Jesus appears in all his glory, nothing else will matter. We'll be standing in the presence of the perfect, holy, loving God. He'll wipe away every tear and invite us to worship and rejoice in his presence for all of eternity. I've said this before, but I really want us to understand something. I have a lot of questions about this life. I have a lot of questions about uh, some of the, the decisions. That, can I say this in church? I have some questions about the decisions God made. There have been some people that he's taken from my life that I, I don't understand why. I've never had an epiphany of, of this is what I was doing for you, Mike. There are some things that, that he's asked me to do that I, I just don't understand what his purpose was. And I've made this statement. I think maybe some of you have done uh, that as well. When I get to heaven, I want to ask God about no you won't (laughs) why those things don't matter anymore those things don't matter anymore all that matters is I am standing in the presence of a glorious perfect God for all of eternity and for all of eternity I get the privilege of worshiping at his feet Because Jesus is returning And with this assurance We have the hope That the return of Christ Will be imminent It'll be imminent I'm going to read verse 11 again This will be the the fourth time this morning That I've read it But I want to read it again Because I want us to fully grasp This unimaginable promise That God is making to us Look at verse 11 once again with me Men of Galilee they said Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This was a promise that God made through these angels. This was a promise that God made at the very moment Jesus ascended. And the the truth of that point is this that the promise could be fulfilled at any moment after that. There are many that, that, that even within the New Testament, that really believed that the return of Christ would be during their life. Every generation that's ever existed has believed that the return of Christ could very possibly be in their lifetime. So what's the significance of that? There have been a lot of books and movies that, that have been written about the return and, and show the return of Christ. And the rap excuse me, the rapture of the true church. And they've, they've painted that event as one of terror and one of uncertainty. And although this may be true for those that have, have chosen to reject the truth of Christ, for we who have the assurance of our salvation, it will be an experience more wonderful than anything our finite minds could ever imagine. And God has promised us that it could happen at any moment. See, there have been many over the centuries who have have tried to predict the date and the time of the coming of Jesus. In the late 80s, a book was published with the the title, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. It was written by a man named Edgar Wisenant. My wife tells me I need to quit singing so loud. And this man uh, that wrote this book sent 300,000 copies uh, directly to churches and to pastors. I received a copy. I was a a youth pastor at that time, and I I received a copy of that book. 4.5 million copies were sold in bookstores. He predicted the return of Christ and the rapture of the church would take place on September 12, 1988. What a a mess he created because of this. He made statements like this. If I'm wrong, the Bible is an error. He he said that. If I am wrong and, and Christ does not return on that date, then the Bible is an error. And then he made this statement. I, I'm willing to take, stake my life on the accuracy of this claim. So what happened? Nothing. Nothing. And when that date passed with no event, you know what he did? He started writing another book 89 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1989. I'm not kidding. That didn't happen, so he wrote uh, 93 reasons why. He wrote one in 94. He wrote another one in 97. He finally got the point when nobody bought the last one that it probably wasn't a good idea. My point is simply this. We don't know. We don't know. And when we begin predicting and when we begin uh, setting dates and times... We, we not only violate the truth of Scripture, but we damage the church. We damage the message of salvation. We hurt the truth of the gospel. There's a beautiful, beautiful account in Matthew 24 of, of, of teaching of Jesus. And Jesus gives us in that, that chapter, in the early part of Matthew 24, you can read that uh, on your own later, But in Matthew 24, Jesus gives us several signs that we should look for pointing to his return. And and there's some very significant things that he says in there about what needs to happen before the return of Christ. And there have been those from uh, the time of the ascension of Jesus to heaven who have believed that some of those, if not all of those signs, have been fulfilled and that Christ would return in their generation. It's how they've interpreted them. However, in that very passage, in in that same chapter, Matthew 24, after listing all of these signs that we need to look for before the return of Christ, Jesus makes this declaration in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He says this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Very clear. Although he gives us indications of things that need to happen, he doesn't tell us when. And immediately, following that pronouncement, he reveals that the return of Jesus will catch people off guard. They'll be going about their daily activities and will be swept up when that trumpet sounds. But then, after listing the signs and declaring the uncertainty of the timing, Jesus says something very, very important, uh, important toward the end of that chapter. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 and following, therefore, therefore, that word again points back to something that has already been taught. Because we don't know the day or the hour, Uh, although there are signs that that we can uh, look at and, and understand if they've been fulfilled or not fulfilled, that it'll point to that time. Therefore, because even with all of that stuff being considered, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Verse 44 again, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The return of Christ is imminent. It could happen any time. The point is clear. God is the one making the call. God is the one who interprets scripture. God is the one that sets the the indicators in place. God is the one that understands what those indicators mean. He is the only one who is sovereign over this world, and his decision is the only one that really, really matters. See, there's a couple of significant warnings that, that we need to take from this discussion. One is that we cannot live as though the return of Christ is not coming soon. We cannot sit back and say, well, this event hasn't happened and that event hasn't happened and and I don't see this indicator and that sign. Therefore, I don't have to be concerned with the coming of Christ. Therefore, I don't have to be ready yet. I've actually had people say to me, I'll accept Christ when I get older. I'll accept Christ when when I, I think it's closer to when it's gonna matter for my eternity. It matters right now. It matters this very moment. Jesus could come and take his church before I finish this sentence. I love that truth. I love that hope. The return of Christ is imminent. We need to understand that because we don't see the signs fulfilled as we interpret them, that doesn't give us a reason to wait. Therefore, we need to live our lives in faith. We need to live our lives in the truth that his return could be at any time. The second important takeaway is that this is a very good thing. This is a very good thing that I know that the truth of God's word promises me without doubt that this life is not all there is. That the struggle and the pain and the frustration of this life is not all there is. I remember when I was a youth pastor 30 plus years ago, had a young man in my youth group, and uh, he, he really got frustrated with the 88 reasons It was when that book came out, and and, uh, I I was trying to question him on why he was fearful and and what was the problem. He said, I just want a girlfriend before I go to heaven. (laughs) We all have our reasons, I guess. But we have the promise. We have the promise. This is not a call to live in fear of the end times. This is not a call to to question our faith. This is a call to live in the hope and to live in the joy of what we've already discovered this morning. Jesus is going to return, and when he does, he's going to take his church, you and I, the body of Christ, to live with him for all of eternity. This is going to be the most glorious event we could ever imagine. So we need to be watching, and we need to be ready. The return of Christ for his church is the most important promise ever made by God. It's our hope. It's our source of peace. It is absolutely true. And all who call on the name of Jesus in faith will be the recipients of the benefits of that promise. We can get discouraged, and and we can even get tempted to be fearful when we look around at all the struggles of this life. However, focusing on the hope that we have and in eternity with our Lord can turn that fear and turn that frustration into joy. It all depends on where we put our eyes. Will you stand with me? Father God, what an amazing truth this morning. Lord, I I understand the inadequacy of my words to paint a picture so far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. So I call on the, the power of your Holy Spirit today to take this truth and to just overwhelm us with that peace and overwhelm us, Father, with the joy and the hope and the encouragement of that truth. Father, if I, I pray that if there are those that don't have the assurance Of that victory in you that they don't have the assurance of of that uh, moment in time when uh, you take the church that they would be going with you i just pray father that they would uh, come and speak with us and and just allow that that faith in you to change that for them father god i just ask that uh, over these next moments as we go from this place that we go with a, a spirit of enthusiasm and a spirit of peace. I pray that in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go in peace to serve the Lord.